0: 3,000 Proverbs, 1,005 songs, that's pretty amazing. His wisdom, when you read about it, was amazing. The temple he built took seven years and 185,000 workers. His wealth was amazing, probably the only trillionaire in history. And then 700 wives and 300 concubines, which was a sign of wealth as well. But it also means that he had 700 mothers-in-law. Wow. (laughs) But, But the biggest wow, bigger than that, believe it or not, is how he blows it. You want to wreck your life? Well, give into lust like David did. We talked about that last week. But David repented and confessed his sin, and he was still after God's heart. You can sin and still recover. Thank God for grace. Well, today we're going to look at Solomon, how he wrecks his life, and really even worse than David. Sometimes on the news, you'll hear and read about or see about a plane crash and when a metal tube going 500 miles an hour goes down, there's a lot of debris. And when they want to find out what happened to cause the crash, they look for the... Black box, which is indestructible, which makes you wonder why they didn't make the plane out of that. But what we're doing in this series is looking at these kings and how they crashed. And we're opening the black box of their lives to find out what caused the crash. David's downfall involved Bathsheba, woman, his lust. His lust led to adultery, led to cover up and lies, and eventually to murder. Solomon's downfall was also about women. But his was more of a lust for wealth and security and power. Many of these marriages he entered into were political alliances. They were a way to keep Israel in good standing with neighboring nations. But before we get into that, I want to look at his wisdom a little bit because Solomon is, was the wisest guy that ever lived, maybe the most successful person ever. And I think we could use some wisdom and common sense today, don't you? Have you ever noticed warning labels on products and how dumb they are? And a short course is based on litigation. Like on an iron-on, when you iron on to a t-shirt, it says, do not iron while wearing shirt. Thank you. In a microwave, do not use for drying pets. <coughs> Might make a hot dog, right? <laughs> My jokes are getting better. It's New Year. Solomon, smartest guy in the class, incredibly successful, probably smarter than a fifth grader, generally is given credit for writing three books of the Bible. Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, and much of the Proverbs. And if you have your Bibles or your phone, whatever, turn to the Song of Songs. It's about in the middle. I'm not going to have these verses on the screen because they're a little bit too risque for the screen. But Song, songs, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, are called Wisdom Literature, along with Psalms and Job as well. Basically, they teach us how to live life well and conversely, how to wreck your life. Most of these parts of, this, of the Bible that I'm going to read are not in the story. There's a few Proverbs in, in this chapter, but that's really about it. So Song of Songs, I'm guessing Solomon wrote early in his life. I'm going to read a few of these verses. It's a romantic love conversation between a man and a woman. Song of Songs simply means the best of songs, kind of like the Holy of Holies means the holiest place. So this is the best of love songs. Some believe it's allegorical. Speaking of God's love for Israel, or maybe Jesus' love for the church. But if you read it just straightforward, it's a man and woman expressing their feelings for each other. Now, if you're under 14, I would like you to get parental approval before looking at this. Okay, So look at your parents and make sure they're okay with this. Actually, there were times in history where you had to be 14 before you could be exposed to this book. Chapter 1, verse 2 the beloved, this is the woman, says, Let him kiss me with the mouth, kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Down in verse 19, he says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, you don't want to be called a horse, ladies, I know, but it's a compliment here, okay? Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. She's probably a little high maintenance. Anyway, verse 15. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She says, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. What's verdant mean? Lush luxuriant, celebrates love. God gave male and female all through this. They say nice things to each other. Husbands and wives could learn so much from this. Chapter 2, verse 8. Listen, my lover, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Over in chapter 7, verse 7. I wasn't sure where to read this not but we will. Verse 7, chapter 7. Your stature is like that... This is he speaking to her. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breast like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breast be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Now, if you can't figure that one out, you're too young or you need some help. Okay. But intimacy is a gift. And the men said... We need some marriage counseling in this church, I can tell. Now, last week, we saw how David messed it up. You know, intimacy, male-female attraction is a gift. And David took this beautiful gift and ruined it. And so does Solomon, in a different way. Solomon also wrote many Proverbs, a few that are in the story this week. Uh, chapter 1, it says, "...the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction." for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. The book of Proverbs is full of good advice on your speech, your finances, anger, marriage, sex, parenting, old age, government, friendships, business, attitudes, leadership, and poverty. I mean, just lots of good stuff. Some people make a habit of reading one chapter a day, And so there's 31 Proverbs. You read one chapter for each day of the month, and you just grow in wisdom. Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, all were impacted by this book, and great people today still read it. The main verse, the core of wisdom, is verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now Solomon lived a wise life in the first part of his life. The last part, he becomes really a fool. And he despises wisdom and instruction. Then the third book that he's given credit for is Ecclesiastes. And this is more of a... I I want to say it's a diary. More than anywhere else, we see here perhaps the black box of Solomon's life. It's about different things he experienced. And and I would think this was written later in life as he's reflecting on everything that he's done. And if you can't get depressed reading this book, you're not trying. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Keyword: meaningless. Okay, everything's meaningless. What did people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And the whole thing's pretty pessimistic. He surveys his life in chapter 2. He says, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven the few days of their, their lives. And then he goes through a list of different things that he tries. And a big part of the book is this. He's tried partying. He said, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. And then he realized, just having fun isn't a way to build a life. So he starts getting serious and becomes productive and works hard and experiences success. He says, I undertook great projects, built houses and vineyards and gardens and parks and racked up lots of money. He made silver as common as stones. So he had wealth. He said, I own more herds and flocks than anyone else. Amassed silver and gold and kingly treasures. Most successful man in the world. Maybe most successful man in history. Had it all. He tried entertainment. I acquired men and women singers, the delights of man. I went to Disney every year. Shows and movies and Broadway and American Idol and sports. And I went to all the ball games and got my kids into sports. And I listened to sports radio. And ultimately, what's the point? It's meaningless. He tried popularity. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Everyone was coming to him for advice, including the Queen of Sheba. He tried sex and relationships, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Can you imagine a thousand women? I think I could have told him that was not smart. But at the end, had it all, it's empty. And if I were to choose one person who exemplifies our culture, I think I might choose Solomon. And the book of Ecclesiastes. Because we keep thinking, well, I'd be happy if only I had more fun or had more money or was more popular. And if we don't get those things, then we get frustrated and depressed. And if we do get those things, we find out it doesn't really feel after all. Oh, it might bring some temporary fun or satisfaction, but it doesn't last. In 2.11, he says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, it was all meaningless chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So we can find a lot of good advice, especially in Proverbs. And in Song of Songs, we can learn how to love our spouses better, but we can also learn from Solomon's failures. And the main reason for his failure was women. And who you marry can be such a blessing or not such a blessing. And those of you who are married, you understand that. And we read about Solomon's plane crash in 1 Corinthians. Kings 11, and it's page 191 in the story. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Now God had been very clear. You do not intermarry with other nations. That is not an ethnicity issue. It's an idolatry issue. And even though God said, don't intermarry, he said, here's what I want for you, here's what I expect of you, Solomon decides he's going to do it his way. And it always ends up bad. I hope you're seeing that in the story. When people go their own way, it always ends up wrong in some way. Don't disobey God. It will not go well for you. And in his pursuit of happiness, Solomon decides he's going to do it his way And so often, we do the same thing. We think, you know, I know better than God about happiness. I know what will make me happy. And I know better than God about love and sex and marriage. I know what's best. And if you think that way, you're an idiot. You don't know better than God. God was the designer of marriage. You know, we just finished Christmas, and probably you got some items where you had to have directions to follow, how to assemble this. Now, men especially, I don't think... We don't think directions are really for us. We don't really need them. Directions are for losers and people who can't figure out on their own. And, or if we do look at them, we will skip some steps. Well, I know where this is going. I can figure this out. Or sometimes we might even disagree with the directions. Well, that can't be. They made a mistake. And we think we know more than the manufacturer. And we do that with God. God gives us directions you know, for a variety of things, including marriage. And we think we know better or we think we can ignore his directions and do it our way, Solomon decides he knows better than God when it comes to marriage. And every one of these kings, when you see them get into trouble, it's because they ignored God's direction. So when people are dating, and I know many of you are not in that stage of life, but when people are dating, it's just best to date someone who shares your faith. And when you get married, it's best to marry someone that shares your faith. Now, some people have good intentions. They do missionary dating, you know, to win them over and get them to come to youth with me or come to church with me. And they might come to church. But a lot of people who are married will tell you, usually doesn't work. Getting aligned with someone who doesn't share your faith is like building a house with two sets of blueprints. And you're not going to share the same values on money, children, priorities, values, or goals, and you will be forced to compromise. Whoever you marry you'll become like him or her. You will share values. If you're married, you know what this is all about. We share direction in life. And, and people will say, but I want to be happy and, and I love him and he promised to come to church. Well, look at the black box of these guys. Usually doesn't work. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. There's a way that seems right to couples, but in the end leads to heartache, sometimes divorce. I know when our kids were... Uh, entering into the marriageable age, our number one prayer was that they'd marry someone who loves Jesus. You don't want your spouse to love you more than anyone else. You don't want your spouse to love you more than anyone else. You want your spouse to love Jesus more than anyone else. And that'll make for a better spouse. If you're trying to love Jesus and trying to be Jesus, you're going to make a pretty good spouse. And God gives the directions for this. And He says, do not intermarry. Okay? We have people in our church today, I think, would tell us, I wish I'd done it by God's direction. First service, I had a guy come out and say, Boy, I wish I'd known that 42 years ago. We don't have the copyright on marriage. We didn't design it. God designed it. It's by Him and it's not our idea. So we need to follow His directions. And our kids will get into college and sometimes even in high school and they'll be given every reason to experiment why it's okay doing sex casually. Just forget God's direction. Sex outside of marriage will have consequences. We saw that last week with David and Bathsheba. Now, what helps when you get these directions at Christmas time to assemble these things is a picture. So instead of just giving written directions, the manufacturer will give us a picture of what it's supposed to look like. And I think the church is to be the picture of God's directions and give some pictures of what it could be like. There's a lot of couples and marriages in our church, especially those of you who've been married for quite a while. You're a good picture of how to follow the directions and do it God's way, and it works. Now, some people don't like to hear this. And to be honest, I don't like really preaching on it. But let me say this. If you're offended or not offended, and if you're not uncomfortable with the Word of God, you're not really hearing the Word of God. One of the goals of the stories we're going through, it should challenge our thinking. It should change our thinking. It should challenge us to change our behavior and make us realize we've had some misconceptions, perceptions about God and about life. You remember the movie Stepford Wives? I mean, that was not very popular, not very good, but. Nobody remembers. There was a movie called The Stepford Wives where the husbands of Stepford, Connecticut, decide to have their wives turned into robots who would always obey their will. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? A Stepford wife was wonderfully compliant and beautiful. What guy wouldn't want that? But there was something missing. No real intimacy. It wasn't personal. See, in any truly personal relationship, the other person has to be able to disagree with you and contradict you and challenge you. If your spouse or your parents are never allowed to disagree with you or challenge you, you won't have a close relationship with them. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. You don't want that. You really don't. There has to be some give and take. And if you eliminate everything from the Bible that offends you or disagrees with what you think, you will have no relationship with the God of the Bible. You have a step for God. A God who looks good, is always compliant to what you want, and there's no relationship in that. And if you come away from the story and not been changed or challenged in some way, it's been a waste of time. When you go to a doctor, uh, my personal opinion is a good doctor will talk to you about food and exercise and uh, lifestyle. You know, you're overweight and you're obese and you want to punch him because it makes you uncomfortable and it's offensive but that's what makes him a good doctor i need to hear that you go to the dentist when's the last time you flossed last time I was here you know and he wants to challenge you for your own good and most people have a stepford god he's compliant he does whatever i want him to do he believes whatever i believe And when I pray, He's supposed to give me whatever I want? Really? You want a Stepford God? No wonder there's so much nominalism and apathy. Who wants a God like that? The primary purpose of these stories is to point out a need for a Savior. You know, we're all desperate sinners. We've all broken God's directions. And that we need to follow His direction as much as we can. And sometimes His directions seem odd, sometimes old-fashioned, but they're the way to life. He's the manufacturer, the designer. I went on a, tr- on a retreat after I lost my wife to cancer. Uh, this was up in Rockford. And some of you know parts of this story, but I was dating a woman, and uh, it would have been a disaster if we'd gotten married, for her and for me, for both of us. Anyway, there was a counselor at this retreat, and he asked me about my story, and I told him you know, everything that had gone on. And I'm really dense, because then he told me a story about a preacher who lost his wife, and was lonely and started dating and probably dated too early and got married, against the advice of some others. And he said that preacher was miserable in that marriage and had to leave the ministry and it was awful. And what the counselor was doing was predicting my future. And I was too stupid to get it. So God said, okay, you won't listen, I'm going to get you fired. I honestly believe God fired me. Thank you, God. I mean, it's the best thing that happened. And he said, Weber, I have the right woman for you down there in Lincoln, Illinois. She loves the Lord. She's ready. She'll love you all her heart. She'll be the kind of ministry partner you want and you need. Just trust me. I think, I shudder to think of what would have happened, to be honest, what could have been. I think we just need to say it. Some people get into a marriage they should not get into. Solomon did. David did. Now, it worked out for David, and it can work out. But much of the time it doesn't, or it's miserable, or it's a ton of work. And marriage is hard, but it shouldn't be that hard. So you want to wreck your life? Get married to the wrong person. Make friends with the wrong people, and those who have a different value system than you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Follow God's direction. Do it His way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this story and I I thank you for your directions. And so often we we think we know better. And I just pray, Lord, you'll open our eyes to understand that your way is always the right way. And I pray that we will allow this story to to challenge us and to change us. Um, I just pray, Lord, that we'll become more and more, uh, have a greater desire to be in line with your will. I pray that we'll grow in wisdom as we journey through your word. Thank you for your grace and your guidance. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.